Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing what is gamma and how does it affect me. This is a topic that has become very mystical and magical in society. There's lots of different people that talk a lot about a lot of different things and a lot of different ways. And my goal in today's talk is to demystify the natural law of gamma. This is chapter nine in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And this is our group learning program. So I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday talk here at 9 p.m. Thai time. If you're on Facebook or YouTube or in our Zoom virtual classroom, you're welcome to ask questions as we go throughout our talk today by just placing your comments into the comment section and our moderator, Max, will help you and ensure that your question gets asked during the class so that I can then answer it. For anybody who's in our Zoom virtual classroom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask your question or any follow-up questions directly. So thank you for joining. This is a very interesting topic. This is a central topic to Gautama Buddha's teachings. Without understanding the natural law of gamma, one would have no ability to attain enlightenment. We've had a couple of those topics here recently because we're in the real heart of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. You know, chapter three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine now. This is the real heart of this book, which is the real core and central focus of Gautama Buddha's teachings. So, my goal today is that by the time we're finished with class and maybe some reflection afterwards, that you can see the natural law of gamma crystal clear. And you're going to need to see it crystal clear in order to attain enlightenment because the gamma is the most unbiased teacher that you will ever find. There's no subjectivity involved in gamma. So let's talk about this natural law and make sure that you understand it so that you can see it as clear as day and then you can work with it to help you to learn and practice these teachings and improve the condition of your life. As we talk about the natural law of gamma, Remember, it's important that you don't believe anything that I say. These teachings aren't based on belief. They're based on you learning, reflecting on those teachings, and then practicing so that you can see that it's truth. So if there's something that we talk about today that you don't understand, I would like you to step forward and ask your questions because it's you seeking guidance that is going to move your practice. 
It's going to progress you forward because you're engaged and you're investigating these teachings and you're really seeking to understand them. So don't believe anything that I say today as we get talking here. The word that you might be most familiar with as it relates to this natural law is karma. Karma is the Sanskrit version of this natural law. It's just a different language. Gamma is the same word, the same natural law. It's just a different language. It's the Pali language. And if you've been studying with me for any amount of time, you know that I only teach in English because English is the common international language that is available to the vast majority of the world. And by learning and practicing the teachings in English, these teachings can spread all throughout the world and you have the widest audience possible to discuss these teachings with. So every single aspect of Gautama Buddha's teachings that are originally captured in the Pali text, the most complete original source of his teachings, have been largely converted over to English. There's only this one word, right? This one word that doesn't have a one word translation. The word Nibbana or Nirvana, we call enlightenment. The word Dhamma or Dharma, you might have heard Dharma, translates over to teachings. But there's this one word, Gamma, that doesn't translate over to just one word in English. So there's going to need to be a lot of words to explain what is this natural law. And we should expect that we couldn't translate all of Gautama Buddha's teachings to English because that would be permanence, right? And there is no permanence. Everything's impermanent. So we should have known there would be at least one word that we couldn't all the way convert over to English. But my goal, like I mentioned, is to demystify this natural law for you in a way that you can see this natural law in action as clear as day. And it may take you some time to do that, but with you doing your job, by you doing your work to actively seek out the guidance, you will be able to understand these teachings. Because I'm going to do my job here and share the teachings with you, but it's up to you to do your job and make sure that you are seeking guidance and understanding and you reflect on these teachings and you practice them. So we're going to help to awaken your mind to this natural law of gamma, essentially gain more wisdom. That's what it means to awaken the mind. You're actually gaining more wisdom. So we need to help you to see this natural law through teaching, but then because it's a natural law, you can go out on your own and you can independently verify it and practice to confirm that it's truth. And then that's how you gain the wisdom, okay? By testing this natural law and seeing the truth for yourself. That's how you awaken the mind to this natural law of gamma through wisdom, confirming the teachings on your own independently. You've actually already done this with another natural law that you may not be aware of at this particular time. When you were first born into this world, you had no knowledge of the natural law of gravity. The natural law of gravity was unknown to you when you were an infant, when you were a toddler, and maybe even in your early childhood. You had no idea about the natural law of gravity. Your mind was unawakened 
to the natural law of gravity. You didn't have the wisdom that you needed to understand this natural law. But this natural law still affected you, even though you were unawakened to it, even though you didn't have the wisdom of this natural law, you were still affected by it. And the natural law of gamma is the same way. You're still affected by it, whether you're aware of it or not. So as you were growing up in this natural law of gravity was affecting you, you really struggled. You really struggled and you may not remember it right now, but you struggled because when you were 10 months old or you were 14 months old, you kept trying to stand up and you kept falling back down. You were standing up and you were falling down. You were hitting your knees. You were hitting your head. You were putting your toys places and they were falling down and breaking. You were knocking over glasses of water and maybe even breaking glasses. You were struggling in life because your mind was unawakened to this natural law of gravity. You didn't have the wisdom that you needed, but slowly and gradually, you progressed in your learning. You started to test this natural law. You started observing that when you made your muscles stronger in your legs, you could get your balance. And then once you got your balance, you could walk. And then you realized you could run. And then you could jump. And then you could ride a bike. And you could work with this natural law of gravity. And you could actually understand it because your mind was awakened to it through the wisdom of you independently verifying it for yourself. And now you're at the point where you can peacefully coexist, peacefully, calmly, serenely, and contently with joy as it relates to this natural law of gravity because you fully understand it. Your mind is awakened through the wisdom of this natural law of gravity. And now you could get on a plane, you could get in a car, you could go anywhere that you would like to go in the world and you fully understand this natural law of gravity. You no longer struggle. Everything's peaceful because you now understand this natural law of gravity. You're not struggling like you did when you were a child. Well, this natural law of gamma is exactly the same way. The mind is struggling. It's unaware. It's not awakened. It doesn't have the wisdom of this natural law. And because the mind doesn't have that wisdom, it's struggling through this life to make certain decisions in a way that would lead to good, wholesome results, good, wholesome outcomes. And it's not until you take time to actively learn and investigate this teaching, see that it's true for yourself, that then you can peacefully coexist in the world, fully understanding this natural law, making good, wholesome decisions so that then you can exist peacefully without struggling in the world. But it's going to take time. It's gradual training. It's gradual progression, just like with the natural law of gravity. So what is this natural law of gamma? What it is, is it's cause and effect or action and result. There's some cause that creates some effect. There's some action that creates some result. Okay. Essentially what gamma is, is it's the result of your decisions. 
based on all the decisions that you make in this life, previous lives as well, but this life, you experience certain results. You experience certain effects. And because at this point in time, you are not fully aware and fully understanding this natural law, the decisions that you're making are not always leading to wholesome results. You're making decisions that you think are the best at this particular time, but because the mind is not fully wise to this natural law of gamma, some of the decisions you're making are leading to unwholesome results. The more that you understand this natural law and how to use this wisdom of the natural law, you can then make better and better choices, which lead to better and better results. And this is how you improve the condition of the mind and the condition of your life through making these better and better decisions that lead to better results. Okay, this natural law of gamma, let's talk about what it isn't. Now that we've talked about what it is, what it is, is this cause and effect, action result. You make good, wholesome decisions, it leads to good, wholesome results. You make unwholesome decisions, they lead to unwholesome results. Let's talk about what the natural law of gamma isn't. It isn't a punishment and reward system. That's not what it is. Gamma is not punishing you and it's not rewarding you. That's not the natural law of gamma. There is no one or no entity that is administering or overseeing this natural law, dishing out punishment and rewards. That's not what the natural law of gamma is. Essentially, the natural law of gamma is just the way things happen amongst all the various things in the world. All the people in the world function in the same way. For example, if you talk unkind, unfriendly, rude, and disrespectful to people, people aren't going to be interested in talking to you. You're not going to have very many friends. People are going to leave from you. Whereas if you speak polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, you're going to notice that people are going to be friendly with you, warm with you, and they're going to be interested to spend time around you. Whereas if you have this hostility and aggression and anger, then that's what you're putting out and that's what's going to come back to you in the world from all the different people and things that are going on in your life. This is just one little simple example. If you're lying and you're going around lying and gossiping and slandering people, people are going to get used to you doing this and people may even gossip with you. But then when your back's turned, people are going to gossip about you. This is the natural law of gamma. No one's administering it. It's not punishment and rewards. It's just the way things happen. That because you're going around gossiping, slandering, and disparaging people, maybe lying to people, people are going to do the same things to you. But if you go around with this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, with this concern for others' misfortune, talking polite, talking kindly, being friendly, then what you're going to see is that your interactions in the world with all the people around you are going to be similar to that. Right now, you probably have people in your life 
that are talking aggressive to you and that are being angry, being hostile, being upset. But that's because you're doing those things also. So what these teachings do is they focus the mind on you training your mind because this natural law of gamma of cause and effect, action and result, essentially the result of your decisions. If you're putting out harmful speech, for example, then that's what's going to come back to you. It's just the way it happens. So by you focusing on your mind, by you focusing on your training, by you training your mind, not trying to change everyone else and trying to get them to speak nice and kind to you because they're wrong. No, that's not what this practice is about. What this practice is about, what this path is about, is you training your mind. Because by you training your mind to speak with the five factors of well-spoken speech, for example, just one thing, by you training that and you only speaking in a wholesome way, then what you're going to find is more and more people are going to collect around you that are also practicing in the same way, that are speaking to you in the same way. And you will notice that people aren't going to speak harsh and aggressive with you because you're friendly, polite, kind, and respectful. This is the way it works. Remember, don't believe me. But the more you learn about the Eightfold Path and you practice that and all these other teachings and you enter into the world practicing these teachings, you will see how your mind changes and your relationships around you will change as well. So don't believe what I'm sharing here. Listen, understand, reflect, ask questions to ensure you learn it, and then go out in the world and test it. That's when you'll have the truth and you'll see the wisdom in these teachings. Because this central aspect of Gautama Buddha's teachings, the core of his teachings, is all about the natural law of gamma. Whether we're talking about the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the five precepts, the three poisons. These are all things that we've learned so far in this group learning program. All of those are based around this natural law of gamma. So if you study deeply the Eightfold Path, what you understand is that first step of right view is all about accepting responsibility for the condition of your mind, understanding that you cause your own discontent feelings. And by you understanding that you're causing the anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, boredom, loneliness, guilt, shame, fears, jealousy, resentment, all of these feelings in the mind are being caused by you, then you know that you can also eliminate them because they're being caused by you. That's right view. If you went into the world blaming everyone else for your anger, for your sadness, for your guilt and shame, your boredom and your loneliness, that's not going to produce wholesome results because that's not the natural law of gamma. The fact is, even though the vast majority of the world doesn't understand this, the truth is that you cause, just like everyone else, causes their own discontent feelings. So if you went into the world blaming other people, for your anger, your frustration, your irritation, it's not going to produce good, wholesome results for you. Cause and effect, action and result. 
right intention, the second step of the Eightfold Path, is all about practicing harmlessness, non-ill will, not harming other beings. That's there as the second step for a reason, because this entire path of Gautama Buddha's teachings to enlightenment are all based on this natural law of gamma of not causing harm to others. Because by us causing harm to others, we're causing harm to ourself because of this natural law of gamma. So once you have right view and you accept responsibility for all your own discontent feelings in the mind, now the second step is be sure you're not harming anyone in the world. Practice harmlessness. Enter into the world with the intention, right intention, of not causing harm to other beings. And by doing so, you're practicing harmlessness or non-ill will. Then the teachings move into right speech because that's one of the big ways that human beings cause harm in the world is through our speech. And the Buddha gives us these five factors of well-spoken speech where he's explaining the natural law of gamma as it relates to speech. So what the Buddha is saying here in the five factors of well-spoken speech is that if you are interested in practicing speech in a way that is harmless, that is going to produce wholesome results, then you need to speak at the right time. What you say is true. You need to speak gently. You need to speak beneficially. And you need to speak with a mind of loving kindness. And then he goes on to say without blame without blaming others. Because when you don't speak with these five factors of well-spoken speech, it's going to cause harm. Therefore, harm is going to come to you. So if we're speaking to someone at the wrong time, if we're interrupting them, that's harming them and it's not going to have good results. Or if it's not the right time for us, if our mind is clouded with frustration, sadness, anger, whatever, and we talk to other people out of anger, it's not the right time for us either. That's going to produce unwholesome results. So we need to make sure that we speak at the right time. What we say needs to be the truth, because if we go around lying, slandering people, talking false truths, then that's going to harm people. It's going to harm us too, because people aren't going to depend on us. They're not going to see us as trustworthy that when we talk, we often lie or even occasionally lie and people discover those lies. We might not be there when they discover them, but they discover those lies. And then it inhibits us from having a trustworthy, dependable relationship with all people around us. The Buddha understood this so well that even when he told a joke, he didn't tell a lie. So it's important that every time you talk, it needs to be the truth. Then the third factor is that when we talk, we speak gently. If we speak harshly or aggressive in our word choice, in our tone, in our demeanor, this is going to be harmful to others. Therefore, it's going to be harmful to us. If we go around speaking harshly and aggressive to people, then that's the way they're going to talk to us as well. And that's our gamma. That's a result of our decisions because we chose to speak aggressively, harshly with others. They're choosing to do the same to us. So 
That's a result of your decision. That's your karma. When we speak, we need to speak beneficially. It needs to be purposeful speech, benefiting people, not just idle chatter or frivolous speech. By speaking beneficially, then people are interested in listening to you and talking with you because when you speak, you're speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you're speaking gently, and you're also benefiting people when you speak, right? And then the fifth factor is a mind of loving kindness. A mind of loving kindness is a mind that has active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So when you speak in this way, using all these factors, including loving kindness, where you have active goodwill towards other beings without judgment, and your speech is blameless, now you're not causing harm. Because if you start blaming people for just mistakes or even something they consciously did wrong, nobody likes to feel blamed, right? It's better to focus on the positive sides and encourage and support people rather than trying to knock people down by blaming them. So if you train the mind to come up closer and closer and closer to this five factors of well-spoken speech as part of right speech in the eightfold path, now you're making wholesome decisions. And because of that action or that cause, it's going to have a good result. And this is where you can test it for yourself. You can look back to past conversations that went really, really well, and you'll see that you were practicing all these five factors. Or you can look at conversations that went bad, and you will see that you weren't practicing these five factors. So now, from this point forward, train the mind to practice this right speech coming up closer and closer to Gautama Buddha's teachings on right speech and by making those choices, you will produce wholesome gamma. Because you are taking the action to train the mind and talk in this way, and the result is going to be that you're going to be able to have wholesome relationships. You're going to be able to have really great personal and professional relationships because you're never harming anyone with your speech. When you start harming people with your speech, people aren't going to want to be around you. And conversely, when you're not harming and you just become first nature, that you're always speaking with these five factors, then more and more and more people are going to be interested to be part of what it is you're doing. Whether it's a friend or a family or a coworker, or professional life, you're going to find that your life is going to blossom because more and more people are willing and interested to be around you because you're never harming anyone. You're never harming anyone with your speech, so they feel very comfortable to be around you, right? This is how you can test it for yourself. So this practice of the five factors of well-spoken speech and right speech, it's not necessarily easy, right? Because the unenlightened mind has been producing speech the way that it has been for however long you've been alive. Whether it's 20, 30, 50, 60 years, you've been speaking how you've been speaking. And your mind has become accustomed to that. But now that you understand these five factors, and if you don't understand them, get more help. But now that you understand them, you need to actively train the mind to practice these in all conversations. Slow down, have one conversation at a time 
with concentration and focus and be sure you're focused on practicing all five of these factors. It'll be a bit of a challenge and you'll have to do this slowly over time. But as you get more and more comfortable with it and you see the wisdom in these teachings, it will become first nature because you will have trained the mind to now speak in this way and it will be easy for you. Everything when you first start out, whether it's exercise or walking up a mountain or driving a car or learning how to walk when you were a child, everything's a challenge and a struggle when you first start. But after you get started and you learn it, it becomes first nature. You could probably jump in a car or on a motorbike and just zoom across the surface of the earth without any problems now because you've done it so many times. You almost don't even have to think about it. Well, right speech is the same way. You're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to intellectualize this and move it into practice, just like you learned how to drive, just like you learned how to walk. But then eventually it becomes first nature and it becomes very simple, very easy. So you need to actively train the mind in this direction. We could go through the entire Eightfold Path, but we've already done that in our previous talks. Unless somebody has a question, But essentially what Gautama Buddha is doing in his Eightfold Path is he's saying this is how to practice your life practice in making wholesome decisions to ensure that you're not causing harm to others or to yourself. And by practicing this Eightfold Path, one of the ways to extinguish all this unwholesome gamma is to produce only wholesome gamma. By producing only wholesome gamma through practicing the Eightfold Path, then you will extinguish all this unwholesome gamma. It's essentially like taking a glass of dirty water and you've got this dirty water and you start pouring clean water into it. That clean water is the wholesome decisions that you're making through practicing the Eightfold Path. If you just keep pouring that clean water into this dirty glass of water, eventually this glass of water is going to become completely clean and wholesome and you'll be able to drink it. But right now your water is dirty because you've been making decisions, whether it's about right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. You haven't been making decisions that are 100% following the Eightfold Path because you were unaware of this natural law. You didn't have the wisdom of this natural law. Some things make sense to you. Some things come easier than others, but you didn't have the wisdom of this entire natural law. So that's how I know your glass is a little bit dirty. Your mind, your life has some pollution. It's a bit dirty. And What you're doing in the Eightfold Path is you're making really good decisions to pour this clean, wholesome water to clean out all of this dirtiness, this pollution in the mind. And the more you do that, then you can drink the water because now it's nice and clean. But until you deeply learn this Eightfold Path and gradually work with it, just like you gradually learned how to walk with that natural law of gravity, It's not until you gradually learn this Eightfold Path and all the other teachings of the Buddha and gradually implement them into your life that you will gradually clean out this pollution in the mind. 
And that's what we're doing through these teachings of the Buddha. And as you do that, you will observe that the condition of the mind and the condition of your life improves because you now have this wisdom of the natural law. And now life won't be a struggle to you. You can move about the world, you can talk to anybody, you can interact with anybody because it's the same natural laws, whether you're in Thailand, America, the UK, Canada, New Zealand, South America, Australia, Japan, it's the same natural laws everywhere. Everything's the same in terms of the natural laws. So by you learning this and applying it in your life, you will see that you'll be able to conduct personal relationships, professional relationships, all your situations where you're looking to make decisions, you'll be able to make the right decision based on these natural laws of existence, particularly this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, action and result, essentially the result of your decisions. Okay, so let me pause here and see if we have any questions before I go on and discuss some more aspects of this natural law of gamma. We have a question from Amina that came in whilst you were discussing right speech. She asks, gamma is individual, yet if we are around others who may use negative speech from time to time, does that affect our gamma? As we work on being content in any and all situations, how might we address these types of situations? Great. So that is something I was going to talk right after this is about gamma, but let's just go right into it now and we can always come back to other questions as well. So to address this question from Amina, let's go right to the Buddha's teachings, which I have on this slide, this picture here. Gamma only affects you. It's your decisions, your results. What other people are doing through their speech and their actions it doesn't affect your gamma. And here is where the Buddha says it, and then we can talk about it. The Buddha says, beings are owners of their gamma, heirs of their gamma. They have gamma as their origin, gamma as their relative, gamma as their resort. Whatever gamma they do, good or bad, they are its heirs which means your decisions affect you and you only. So in Amina's question where you're in a conversation with somebody and they're talking harsh or aggressive or with anger, that's affecting them. That's why you can remain calm and peaceful because anything they say is on them. Oftentimes when somebody says something nasty and aggressive or angry to us, if you've got ego or you've got arrogance, or you've got a self, you're going to want to defend yourself. And now because you're trying to protect the self, you're going to come out with hostility and anger as well. But when you come out with hostility and anger, now that's your decision. And now that's going to affect you. And other people are going to see you're an angry person and this conversation isn't going to go well because you're not talking and practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech. But when somebody else is speaking unkind, unfriendly, or if we want to go down the five factors of well-spoken speech, if they're speaking at the wrong time, if they're lying, if they're speaking hostile and aggressive, if what they're saying isn't beneficial, if they're speaking with a mind of hatred, anger, ill will, if they're blaming you, 
if any of these things are happening, that's on them and it affects them. So you need to recognize that and just remain calm and peaceful, but you practice the five factors of well-spoken speech. Because once you break away from your practice, now it's affecting you. So gamma is only your gamma. Now there are situations where there can be a group, okay? So let's say we are at a business and let's just say Max is like the CEO of our company. So Max is the CEO of our company and all of us choose to work with Max because he's very friendly, he's very polite, he's very respectful. We see him as a good person. We get to know him as a boss and we choose to work with him, right? Now we're making the choice to work with him. That's our gamma. We made the choice to work with him. But now as our leader and CEO, he's making all these great decisions and we're making great decisions along with him because he's supportive, he's encouraging, he's motivating, he's uplifting. Our team is really working well together and we are going to produce lots of good things in the world because we all are making good, wholesome decisions together. That's our gamma because we've chosen a very good boss. Now, if we choose to work at a company or for an administration or a nonprofit organization, or we choose to be part of a community group where we're choosing to be part of this group and the people in that group are making unwholesome decisions, well, those unwholesome decisions they're making are only affecting them, but our choice to join them is our choice. So our choice is affecting us. So if we notice that we're part of a group of people that are making unwholesome decisions, that's where we have to make the choice to either stay or leave because it's our choice that's affecting us. Even though we're part of this group and we might not have been part of that actual decision, that we're still affected by it, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome. And some of the laws in society are starting to reflect this. If all of us went out and hung out together, you know, say James, Max, Bill, Judith, Linda, and I, we went out to this village and I did something unwholesome and I went out and killed somebody. In a lot of societies, they would actually charge Max, Bill, James, and Linda with murder as well, just because they were with me, right? So this is where the Buddha talks about choosing our friends, our companions, and our associates to ensure we have good companions, good associates, and good friends. And that can also go to business life as well, a professional life. And this is what we were talking about. Max asked me this question just recently about picking a political leader or a community leader. And I mentioned to you guys at that time, you should pick people who you observe that are practicing these teachings. It doesn't mean that they are Buddhist and they're on the path to enlightenment, but because you will be intimately familiar with the natural law of gamma, you can see if somebody's lying. You can see if somebody's disrespectful. You can see if somebody's friendly and polite. You can see if somebody has loving kindness and compassion. You can see if somebody's speaking at the right time, what they say is truthful, are they speaking gently, 
Are they speaking beneficially? Are they speaking with a mind of loving kindness? Are they speaking blamelessly? Are they stealing? Are they committing sexual misconduct? Are they lying? Are they taking substances that cause heedlessness? If you associate with people like this, not that we're judging them, not that we're looking down on them, but if you associate with people like this and you're involved in their group or in what they're doing, then you're going to experience results as well. But not because their decisions are affecting you, but it's your decision to be part of that group. It's still your decision. That's right view. It always comes back to right view, accepting responsibility for all your decisions and all your feelings in the mind. I have a follow-up then, David. So if we were to zoom out a little bit and look at our culture as a whole, we have this cultural camera that we all bear the results of to some extent. But how can one bear the results of their culture's camera and their unwholesome camera if one's own intentions are wholesome? Okay, so this goes to our previous lives. And you guys may not have observed your previous lives yet, but you might at some point. If you do, then you'll understand that you've had countless previous lives before this. Okay, just countless lives. And all those decisions have led to this point where you are now in this human existence. So things must have went really well for you in order to get you in this human existence because this is the ideal place to learn, cultivate the mind, and attain enlightenment when you're in the human state. So whatever culture you were born into, whatever country you were born into, whatever family you were born into is all based on decisions from your previous lives. So when you were brought into the world, you landed in the womb of a woman and that happened based on your gamma from your previous lives. So you can think of all your previous lives, including this life, as one long stream of consciousness that had individual existences, but it's just been cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, one thing after another. Anything that you've got going on in your life right now is a function of all of these previous causes and effects, not just your previous lives, but this life as well. So your culture, while you might not see it as you've made the decision, but you have. Where you were born into the world was based on previous lives. Where you sit right now in the world is based on your decisions. And we know that, right? Like I'm sitting here in Thailand. Why? Because this is where I chose. And there's a lot of reasons why I chose that. But that was my choice. And I'm experiencing the results of that. But in order to get to this point where I can sit here in Thailand, it was a lot of cause and effect to get to the point where I was able to do that. So all of us are choosing the things that go on in our life, either wholesome or unwholesome, and we are going to experience the results of those, whether it's our relationships, our job, our income, where we live, what kind of dwelling we have, what kind of clothing we have, what kind of food we eat. Everything is based on this cause and effect, action and result, because we all have free will. Every single one of us have free will. Nothing is predetermined. There is no punishment and rewards. 
So all of our decisions can result in either wholesome beneficial outcomes or unwholesome outcomes. And it seems then, David, so whilst it's all the results of our own decisions, we don't necessarily know what the outcomes are going to be. We don't even necessarily know if the outcomes are going to be positive or negative, wholesome or unwholesome. And that's why we're on this path is because we're coming to understand the natural law of karma so we can make wholesome decisions with wholesome outcomes. Even if we don't necessarily know the precise workings or the exact outcome, we know it's a wholesome decision with wholesome outcomes. Exactly. So the more that you learn about this natural law of gamma through the Buddhist teachings, you will be able to implement wholesome decision after wholesome decision after wholesome decision, which is like pouring that fresh water into the dirty glass and you will improve the condition of the mind and the condition of your life because you're making better and better choices. Just the fact that you guys are here and listening to this class, learning in this class, you've decided to learn the teachings of the Buddha or you're watching this video or learning from the podcast or the books or personal guidance or you're choosing to meditate, you're choosing to train the mind. These are all good, wholesome decisions one after another that's leading to good, wholesome results. Where someone who's not becoming aware of these teachings and the wisdom in these teachings, they're still struggling because they're being affected by this natural law day in and day out without even realizing the struggles that they're encountering are all self-imposed. All the struggles that we experience in life are all self-imposed. We don't realize that in the unenlightened state. We think all these things that are happening around us are happening to us rather than realizing that we're actually causing these things ourselves. And because we're causing these unwholesome results through making wiser and wiser choices, we can actually create wholesome results for ourselves. That's where the Buddhist teachings are very powerful and very profound because you're in the driver's seat. Some people say that the Buddhist teachings are very pessimistic when they talk about using the word suffering, where the Buddhist teachings are all about suffering. They're not all about suffering. That's the wrong word, first of all, but they're not all about suffering. What his teachings are about is all about the natural law of gamma and that you have the power and the ability to learn this natural law and make better and better and better choices to improve the condition of the mind and improve the condition of your life by making these good, wholesome choices. And because we're on this particular slide, let's just talk about the next piece because this goes into what I was just leading into, is the reason why the unenlightened mind is not making these wholesome choices. The reason why the unenlightened mind is making unwholesome choices is because of the three poisons. Because the mind has this greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance, the mind is unaware of this natural law. It's unaware of how these natural laws of existence work. And because of that, the unenlightened mind is making all of these unwholesome decisions and it creates struggles in our life. So that craving, that outward searching, that external pleasure seeking, the mind is just on this never ending journey to seek pleasure. 
and that's causing unwholesome results. The mind has this hatred, anger, ill will, this hostility, this aggression, and we make decisions through that in the unenlightened mind. And because of that, it comes through in our speech and our actions, and now it affects us. And we're struggling because we're causing harm in the world, that harm is coming back to us. And because of this delusion or this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality, the unenlightened mind doesn't even know what it doesn't know. The unenlightened mind doesn't know what it doesn't know. It doesn't know that it's causing its own discontent feelings. The unenlightened mind doesn't realize that this hatred, anger, and ill will is causing problems. The unenlightened mind doesn't realize that this pleasure seeking is causing problems. The unenlightened mind doesn't understand the natural law of gamma. The unenlightened mind doesn't understand the Eightfold Path and the Five Precepts and all of these other good, wholesome teachings. And because of that, we're making decisions through arrogance, through ego, through pleasure seeking, through hatred, through all of these pollution of the mind, the decisions that are coming out from us are causing harm in the world. And that's creating this return back to us that we now struggle in the world because we don't have the wisdom that we need in the unenlightened state to make good, wise decisions. So it's only when you extinguish and eliminate these three poisons that the mind becomes wise and makes wholesome choices one after another after another. There's a million and one choices that you need to make along this path in order to move the mind and the life to wholesome results. So the more that you learn these teachings, you will gain the wisdom that you need to eradicate this ignorance or unknowing of true reality then fully extinguishing this craving, anger, and ignorance or greed, hatred, and delusion. And in doing so, as the mind is trained in this direction through the Eightfold Path, now the mind becomes enlightened, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. This is also why it's a gradual process. You can't just sit down and instantly become enlightened because you need to gain all this wisdom over a long period of time to eradicate these three poisons. You can't just sit down, meditate for five minutes and instantly become enlightened because you don't have the wisdom that you need in order to attain enlightenment. You need to gradually accumulate this wisdom through learning with teacher, practicing it in real life, seeing the results, independently confirming the truth, so that then you've got the wisdom that you need to continue to make better and better and better decisions in your life. We have a question from Javier. Are the consequences that come back to you always the same kind as your actions or can they be a different kind of results? It can be both. It can be uh, similar or different. And it, it's not always instantaneous, right? It's an accumulative effect sometimes. In my talk that I did about six months ago, I had just seen a video series on the wild, wild west in America. The cowboys shooting, killing, robbing, drinking whiskey, having sex with lots of women, and we called it the wild, wild west. Well, 
if you know anything about the wild wild west all those outlaws they were all going around killing they were all going around stealing robbing banks things like that they were going around having lots of sex with lots of different women they were going around lying they were going around drinking lots of whiskey and because of that they ended up dying a very early death so someone like billy the kid this is a famous figure from the wild wild west he died when he was 21 he got killed by a police officer he had already killed about 20 25 people at that point but it's not just the fact that he was killing that he got killed it was all this other stuff too so you can actually steal and lie and take intoxicants or substances that cause heedlessness and end up getting killed even though you've never killed someone ever in your life but you can also be a murderer and end up getting killed as well right and sometimes it's an accumulative effect you don't always get exactly what's happening in the exact moment and it's also not always actions too you can also get guilt and shame and fear in the mind so like these cowboys that were running around doing all this harmful stuff in the wild wild west they had to go around from place to place to place to place they could never reside in one place peacefully because they had so much fear that somebody was coming to kill them because they had done so much killing that they could never rest and be peaceful so there was a certain amount of fear in the mind that was causing discontentedness so therefore some of the gamma that comes back some of the results of our decisions is the fear right is the inability to take a homestead and just stay in one home and have a comfortable existence with friends and family around you so it's not always coming back in exactly the same form as we put it out in but by you learning and practicing these teachings and making all these good wholesome decisions your life will become very very peaceful and calm because of making these good wholesome decisions and your mind will become that way and everything that you experience in the world is experienced through the mind so therefore your mind becoming peaceful calm serene and content with joy your life will become the same way and david is the harm that one commits in proportion to the harm that comes back to them not always right not always and this is where sometimes people try to do like an accounting like okay you know i did this when i was this i did that i did this I did all right what's going to come back to me right like i've had people try to do an accounting of their gamma almost like it's like an, a bank account where they're making positive deposits and they're making withdrawals all right so here's a bunch of good stuff i did i deposited things now i did all this bad stuff i'm making withdrawals right this is kind of like the mysterious mystical gamma in the cloud somewhere this isn't the way gamma works it's kind of this gradual accumulation by you doing things a certain way people around you will do things in a certain way if you make good wholesome decisions you're going to elicit friends and family and co-workers that are making good wholesome decisions around you and by you making unwholesome decisions there's going to be a lot of unwholesome things that happen around you it seems that even with that there are countless arms of people say who were murdered for inviting a positive kind of change in the world that other people did not like there has been cases of people like you know, martin luther king who was 
working with very wholesome intentions, but still was killed. So how can we explain this? Yeah, so this is still Kama as well, right? Because based on the situation that he was involved in, it's not that he did necessarily anything wrong by standing up for civil rights, because that's a really important thing. But his decision to do that, he knew that he was risking his life. He knew that it was a very difficult time in American history. And he realized that he was attempting to be the leader and to do something very significant amongst a large volume of people who were very much against what he was doing. And because of that, that was his gamma. And he was willing to accept that. He was accepting of that, that he knew that he could potentially be killed. And then based on the choices that he made in terms of his final time, he was in a hotel. He came out of the hotel and somebody from far away basically shot him. So, you know, he didn't have bodyguards. He didn't have, well, he probably had bodyguards, but they didn't necessarily protect him in this situation. And he was very exposed at that particular moment. So those were decisions that he made that led to his result. This is why it's not punishment and rewards, because the way I view what Martin Luther King did, he did something extremely wholesome. He stood up for a group of people that were pushed down and were discriminated against and were struggling through life. And he stood up and made some really good wholesome decisions to protest in nonviolent ways. Right. So it's not always that this person is super wholesome. Therefore, how did this unwholesome thing happen? Well, he was doing a lot of wholesome things around a whole lot of people who were very much against him. So he was making decisions that he was fully aware of. But the result of his decisions were that he was murdered. We can even go back to Jesus Christ, the same thing, right? Jesus Christ was trying to do something wonderful, tell people about this entity that he called God. They killed him too, right? So it's not always about you're always being wholesome. Therefore, nothing is going to necessarily happen bad to you because if you're making all these wholesome decisions around a bunch of unwholesome people, then you're in in an environment and in a climate that you're making these decisions. Those decisions come with discernment, right? Yes, if you're not causing harm, no harm should come to you. But in the way that Martin Luther King was talking amongst all these unwholesome people, they considered it to be harmful that he was imposing his view or his opinions amongst these people that felt otherwise. And then ultimately what led to his death is that he was exposed in a situation where potentially he could have had better protection, right? So it's all about cause and effect, action and result. Martin Luther King's actions were pure. They were wholesome. He was looking to improve the world. And the result is that he actually did accomplish those goals. That was the result. But also his actions were that he was trying to create some very well-needed change that was going to move the world to better wholesome results amongst people that were very unwholesome and making unwholesome decisions. And his actions were that he didn't have the protection that he needed in order to implement these important changes in the world amongst all this unwholesomeness. So he was affected by his decisions. And that's why... 
this gamma is much bigger and more complex than you could really ever do an accounting for. You could never really sit down and say, okay, he did this, so he got that. He did this, so he got that, right? It's not a one-for-one one thing, and it's not a punishment and rewards. It's about making wise choices. And if you look at people probably after Martin Luther King, the wisdom that they came and understand is now we need to protect ourselves, right? If you look at people like Jesse Jackson and people who came after Martin Luther King, they started to protect themselves much better. And that led to better results. We haven't really had an assassination of a civil rights leader since Martin Luther King. And people have come to uh, make better decisions about realizing that, yes, we all need to be equal. We need to eliminate this racism and discrimination that exists in the world. This is nothing but hatred. The more that we do that as a society of people, the condition of the world will just gradually improve. Do you condemn white supremacists or other hate groups? Okay, so I will answer this question and my answer might surprise you. I don't condemn white supremacists and hate groups. And here's the reason why. To condemn something is to disapprove of something. That's what the word condemn means, is disapprove. If you're going to disapprove something, that means you're placing yourself in a position of judgment. You're judging someone else and what they're doing, therefore you disapprove of them. If you're judging others, that means it's coming from a position of arrogance and ego. So for me to say I condemn someone or something or some decision is to disapprove of it, is to judge it with ego and arrogance. I'm not interested in condemning anyone or anything. What I'm interested in doing is encouraging and supporting people. So with white supremacists and hate groups, I would encourage them and support them to put down their weapons, to eliminate the baseball bats, the knives, the guns, put those things down. I encourage you and support you to do that because those things only lead to unwholesome results and unwholesome outcomes. And at the same time that I encourage you and support you to lay down your weapons, I also encourage and support you to lay down your hatred, your anger, and your ill will, because that only leads to unwholesome results as well. Lay down the weapons, lay down the anger, the hatred, and the ill will, because when you lay down these things, you're laying down the burden in the stress of having to carry those things. Not only do I encourage and support white supremacists and hate groups to lay down these things, but I also encourage and support the entire world to lay down craving, anger, ignorance, the unknowing of true reality, to lay down the self, to lay down the ego. Because when you lay down the burden of having to carry craving anger and ignorance, the self and the ego, when you lay down the stress 
of having to carry around craving anger, ignorance, the self in the ego, that leads to wholesome results. That is where the mind can then move to peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But as long as people carry around those three poisons, then it's going to lead to unwholesome results. So rather than condemning a particular group or a particular decision or a particular ideology or philosophy, I would instead encourage and support people to lay down the unwholesomeness and to cultivate and rise in the mind the wholesome qualities that are going to lead to wholesome results. So I would rather encourage and support rather than condemning. Okay, thanks, David. Okay, we have a question from Randall. Randall asks, I believe you've talked in the past about how craving from past lives can be carried over to future births. So I'd like to hear more about how craving is related to karma's effects on our future lives. Sure. So what you should understand about craving at this point is craving is the cause of discontentedness. It causes the painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. Craving is what causes discontentedness. By eliminating craving, we eliminate discontentedness. And by eliminating craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego, you attain enlightenment. The mind has been liberated. It's now peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If there is craving at the time of death, craving being this outward seeking, this longing, this strong eagerness, if there's craving at the time of death, there's going to be rebirth. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be reborn back into the human world. Gamma is what determines where one is reborn. But craving determines if there is rebirth. So at death, if there is craving, there is going to be rebirth. Once there's rebirth, it's the natural law of gamma that decides what realm, what condition, what situations this being is being reborn as. So we need to extinguish craving this mental longing with a strong eagerness, this outward seeking for pleasure in order to eliminate discontentedness. But we also need to eliminate it in order to eliminate rebirth. Because if we don't, then we're going to be reborn. And then it's based on the natural law of gamma. If there's rebirth, that means there's still craving. Okay, When you're reborn into the next life, the residual memories from each life move forward. There's some residual memories and there's craving that moves forward as well. So that craving moves forward into the future lives. And now in that new life, that new life is going to be affected by that craving. So let me give you an example. Let's say that I had a previous life where I was a carpenter. And I enjoyed that job. I loved that job. I was a good carpenter. I really enjoyed being a carpenter. And now I die in that life and I'm reborn into a new life, a new human being. That craving from that previous life is going to move into this new life now, David Roylance. And even though I didn't have any experience 
in this life being trained as a carpenter, that craving is still in the mind because it hasn't been extinguished yet. And now there's going to be certain decisions that I make in this life, potentially without me even being aware of my previous lives, that are going to affect me in this life. I will pursue carpentry, for example, in one way, shape, form, or fashion. Likewise, let's say in a previous life that I say I didn't have much sex in previous lives and now I'm reborn into this new life and I've got this craving for sex. So then in this life, perhaps I have a lot of sex with a lot of different people and I go around having sex with lots of people and that's going to affect me in this life. So when we say that our gamma from our previous lives are affecting this life, what the Buddha is actually talking about is it's the craving that moved forward into this new life. And now the decisions that I'm making in this life are affecting me in this life. Once you're born, once you have physical life as a human being, all the craving has moved forward into the mind. Your human body is based on your previous lives. So that is what we call old gamma. But anything that's happening in this life is as a result of what's going on in this life. But it could be based on cravings from previous lives. So it's not that the gamma follows us from life to life. It's that the craving moves forward into the new life. And now through that craving, we're producing decisions that affect us in this life. That's the gamma in this life. And that's how craving affects us. That's why craving is like, even though it's what, it's a, it's a, a seven letter word. It's kind of like a four letter word, the word craving. You want to get rid of craving at all costs, right? Because it causes discontentedness. It causes unwholesome gamma and it causes rebirth. It's the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered and you've got to eradicate it. And that's why breathing mindfulness meditation is our primary foundational practice in the Buddhist teachings, because that's the primary practice that's training the mind to get rid of this craving, get rid of this desire attachment. And that's why we practice generosity so much. If you come to Thailand and you're around all these Buddhist practitioners, everyone's generous, very giving, right? So those are the two antidotes to this poison of craving is breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity and eliminating this craving is going to eliminate discontentedness it's going to eliminate unwholesome gamma production based on craving and it's going to eliminate rebirth right really important to eliminate craving desire attachment as a follow-up for me then david if we eliminate certain cravings at the end of our existence but there's still some craving that ignites the rebirth and let's say we've eliminated certain other defilements. Perhaps we've eliminated anger completely, let's say, at the end of one's life. But there's still some craving. We're reborn. Can that anger come back? And can other cravings that we previously eliminated, can they come back? Yes. So when you go through this human birth that you now have, if you attain enlightenment during this life, you will know 
You won't convince yourself of it, but you will know because your mind has completely eliminated discontentedness. Your life is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And you know that you're no longer going to be reborn. That's attaining enlightenment at the fourth stage, which we call Arahant. But it's a progression to get there. And you may not get there in this one life. You may get to the first or second or third stage of enlightenment. In these other stages, you can be reborn back into the human world. If you don't get to the first stage of enlightenment, you will be reborn into one of the lower realms, like animal, afflicted spirit, or hell realm. You'll be born into the lower realms. Eventually, you'll be reborn in those realms enough that you'll end up back to the human world at some point again in the future. But you've got a human birth now. You can attain enlightenment during this life. But if you don't, let's just say you get to the first or second stage of enlightenment. You've studied these teachings to a certain degree. You've got some pretty good progress, but there's still some craving there. And as Max said, you've eliminated hatred. And you've been now reborn again into the human world. When you're reborn, you're reborn back with the same three poisons. You still are going to have craving, anger, ignorance, the self, and the ego. You may have less of it, but you're going to have all those things. Because you practiced these teachings in a previous life and you attained a first or second stage of enlightenment, you will kind of find your way back to these teachings in that new life more readily. And once you land into a place where you're learning these teachings, you will be able to learn them and incorporate them into your life more readily because you have already done that in the past. But you still will have to eliminate all those same three poisons all over again. It's not like you start off right where you finished in your previous life. You are starting over, but it's going to be a little bit easier for you. It's going to be a little bit better for you. So if you learn and practice these teachings and you get to the first or second stage of enlightenment, that's really a great accomplishment. You're going to have a wonderful life, but you're still going to experience some discontentedness, which means there's still going to be rebirth. But in that next rebirth, you're going to be reborn in a better destination. You're going to be reborn in a better situation, a better condition. And you're going to have a better chance of attaining enlightenment on those subsequent births than you did in that first birth that led you to the first or second stage of enlightenment. But you will be starting over with some benefits acquired from previous lives. Just a clarification then. So to be reborn as a human, one will necessarily have to have eliminated the self. However, when they are reborn, having a self comes with the human condition. So they will automatically have some self. And it's not that they acquire a self through growing up or through the obstacles they encounter, but they're actually born with one as part of the human condition. Right. The mind is conditioned to this self as part of their human birth. But to eliminate it, it will be a bit easier for them if they've already done it in a previous life. Right. So that's why like some students who study with me, they just absorb this teachings and they just move through it really quick, like two months, three months, six months. It's like, whoa, they're making all kinds of progress where another person it's going to take them more time, you know, multiple years to really sit with 
the material and really understand it and and really work with it. And it's almost very much of a struggle for them. But other people, they can adopt it very readily and very quickly. And what I observe in those situations is that appears that these people probably had some type of training in these teachings in a previous birth. And that's why they were able to learn and implement these teachings and see the truth in them so readily and so easily because of their prior experiences with these type of teachings. Where somebody else, it might be their very first human birth. They've never been in the human world before, where these other people have been in the human world before. So it's easier for them to kind of learn and adapt and practice these teachings where someone who it's their very first human birth, their mind is really affected by these animal rebirths having just come out of the animal world because the vast majority of humans are coming out of the animal world and moving from the animal world into the human world. It's a big step to go from an animal consciousness to a human consciousness and the mind can be very bogged down with this craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego. So it might take that person more time in this life to really learn and practice these teachings and get to the results of an enlightened mind. Thank you. You mentioned earlier about how memories are carried through with the craving as well. And you also talked about how life to life is almost like a stream of consciousness, even though it's a new being each time. So why is it then that most of us don't remember our past lives much or if at all and is there a kind of cutoff where some of the memories get dissipated at death and maybe some get carried through or is it literally like you know out of one and into the next you know and everything's just retained sure the reason why the mind of an unenlightened person doesn't understand or doesn't recall their past lives is because it's burdened with this craving anger ignorance the self and the ego So the mind is polluted with these three poisons. As your mind awakens, i.e. as you gain this wisdom, as you train it through meditation, as the mind starts gradually awakening through reducing and ultimately eliminating craving, anger, ignorance, the knowing of true reality, the self and ego, it's not uncommon. It's actually quite common that people will start to observe past lives. Because as the pollution of these three poisons go down in the mind, then the memories start to come through and you start seeing these residual memories from previous lives. There's a lot of children in the world that observe their past lives. There's a lot of this is in the news right now in certain news outlets. You know, a lot of children will oftentimes observe past lives. And that's because a child's mind is not very polluted with the three poisons because it's still fairly pure. It hasn't been conditioned as it does when we're adults. So as children, we oftentimes observe information from past lives or even in the unenlightened state without having any training in these teachings whatsoever. Some people can have residual memories even without training their mind at all. There's people that will talk to you about past lives that they've experienced, but As you progress on this path, it's common for people to observe past lives. And the way that I explain it is that if you were in a particular city and you walked out of your house, all you see is that street. So you only see this life. 
because all you see is this street. But as you ascend to a higher mountaintop and you overlook the city, now you can see all the different streets, how they interconnect with each other. And you can see individual towns, how those different towns connect to each other because you're at a higher vantage point. When you're clearing out the mind with all this pollution of the three poisons of craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego, it's like moving to that higher vantage point, a higher consciousness. And when you're looking at this life, these residual memories will oftentimes come back to you. You don't actually have to recall your past lives in order to attain enlightenment. I know people that are fairly well enlightened that have never observed their past lives whatsoever. Anything that's happened in the past is in the past. It doesn't affect you right now. And anything that may or may not happen in the future in terms of rebirth, it doesn't affect you. What's important is right now that you're learning and practicing the teachings to improve the condition and the quality of the mind in your life. What observing past lives did for me is it confirmed for me that what the Buddha taught was 100% truth. Because I had these experiences of observing past lives first, and then when I read his teachings about the cycle of rebirth, he was explaining everything that I had experienced. So rather than reading the teachings first, conditioning the mind to have these experiences, I had the experiences first, I didn't understand them. I didn't know what they were all about. And it wasn't until months later, I happened to pick up some of the Buddhist teachings and I was like, what's going on here? And I read it and I was like, oh, wow. His words from 2,500 years ago are explaining exactly what I experienced. So that's how I knew his teachings on the cycle of rebirth were 100% true. So if you observe your past lives, fine, that's great. That's information for you. It confirms the cycle of rebirth. You know that it's true. If you want more information on it, I will help you to understand the cycle of rebirth so you'll understand it further. It's not going to necessarily help you in this life other than the fact that you'll understand the cycle of rebirth more deeply and you'll have true wisdom because you'll have experienced it for yourself. But if you never experience your past lives, no problem. That's okay too. You shouldn't have a desire or a craving to experience your past lives and see your past lives. Because if you do, that craving, that mental longing and strong eagerness to observe your past lives is going to inhibit you from attaining enlightenment. The goal of this path is to attain enlightenment, not to see your past lives. While it's interesting to see your past lives, it's not the goal of this path. The goal is to attain enlightenment. So seeing past lives is kind of a nice thing. It's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, wow, that's interesting, but it's not a requirement. And if you see it, great, that's fine, no big deal. If you don't see them, great, that's fine, no big deal. Just continue to stay focused on the goal, which is liberation of the mind to attain enlightenment. If an enlightened being is only producing wholesome karma and they've completely eliminated all of their unwholesome karma, must they still bear the results of decisions they made prior to becoming enlightened? And if so, in what sense? So a person who's enlightened will not be enlightened until they've already cleaned up all their unwholesome karma. So 
if there's still unwholesome results coming back to you, then you haven't attained enlightenment yet because harmful things are still coming back to you. So the way that this progresses is in the unenlightened state, prior to ever learning about the Buddhist teachings, the unenlightened mind is just going through life, struggling, making all kinds of unwholesome decisions, all kinds of unwholesome results are happening, and you don't even know why. And you're just struggling through life. The mind becomes highly discontent or discontent, or you have different problems, and then at some point you decide, I need something better. And you find the Buddhist teachings. And you start learning these teachings. And you start improving your training. You start improving the mind. And you start improving how you're training the mind and the condition of the mind. And your decisions get better and better and better. The decisions that you're making are coming up closer and closer to the ideal of this enlightened mind. You're pouring this clean water into the glass. And you're doing that for a period of time. You're cleaning up all your unwholesome karma by only producing wholesome decisions, by only producing wholesome results, by you making a series of months and years of good wholesome decisions, your life is getting cleaned up more and more and more and more and more and more. Eventually, as you keep training the mind through meditation, practicing generosity, loving kindness, practicing loving kindness, gaining wisdom, training the mind in meditation, cleaning up your life, choosing good friends, good companions, good comrades, choosing a good place to work, choosing a good life partner if you're gonna have a life partner, choosing a good place to live, making all these choices about your livelihood and your income. As you make more and more and more of these choices, you're in effect cleaning up your unwholesome decisions that you were making in the unwholesome state. As you clean these up more and more and more, your life becomes more and more peaceful more and more calm, more and more serene, more and more content, more and more joyful because no harm is coming back to you. So now let me give you a real world example. In the unenlightened state, say you have a wife, a partner, a boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe you have children, you're going around being hostile, angry, aggressive, talking bad to friends and coworkers. You're just struggling. All these bad things are happening, you have no idea. Your mind is highly discontent. You start learning these teachings, you start cleaning up your decisions, you start talking politely, kindly, friendly, respectfully with people. Your partner starts learning this path. They start talking polite, kind, respectful as well. You start sharing these teachings with your children. They start practicing these teachings and cleaning up their conduct as well. They're no longer screaming at you. They're no longer disrespectful to you because you are respectful to them and they learn how to respect because you're respectful to them. And you're cleaning this up for many months, many years. As you're cleaning up your conduct, the people around you are cleaning up as well if they choose to get on the path. You're making better and better choices about where you work, what kind of boss, what kind of friends, what kind of conversations you engage with. You're training your mind to be less and less affected by what other people say and do. And as you clean all this up, your life becomes more and more and more peaceful because now the mind is protected. It no longer experiences discontentedness. And while somebody might be angry towards you, the mind is no longer affected by it. Somebody might be 
egotistical or arrogant or harmful in their speech to you, but your mind is no longer affected because you've gone through this transitionary time where you've learned the wisdom of these teachings, you've trained your mind so well that now the mind is protected. The Buddha called this going to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha for refuge. Refuge is a protection, is to protect the mind. So by you going to the Buddha, to his teachings, and to the community of practitioners to learn his teachings, you are seeking refuge. You are seeking protection in the Buddha, the teachings, and the community of practitioners. And by you doing that, your mind will then become protected by all the discontentedness in the world, all the harmful things in the world. Even if someone does something harmful to you, it doesn't stick because the mind's protected. Now in the unenlightened mind, if somebody says something negative or harsh to you, your ego might kick in, your self might kick in, you feel sad, you feel depressed, you feel guilty or shameful or sorryful because your mind is not yet fully protected. You haven't trained it enough. But once you train it enough, the mind gets to this enlightened mental state where it's now unshakable. It's laid down the burden of these three poisons. It's no longer seeking external pleasure through craving. It no longer has hatred, anger, ill will. It no longer has ignorance or unknowing of true reality. It's got this generosity. It's got this loving kindness and this wisdom, and it's protected. It's unshakable. You've laid down the burden. You've laid down the stress. The mind now has concentration, focus, clarity of thought, deep memory, and you no longer are experiencing discontentedness whatsoever, no matter what people say or do. The mind is protected 100%. Right, so it doesn't mean that an enlightened being is never going to encounter any kind of unwholesomeness, of course. It means they're still going to encounter people speaking without right speech. It means they're still going to maybe be attacked. Who knows, it's possible, right? Well, that's yes. probably less likely. But it means that they know they aren't causing it and therefore their mind cannot become discontent. Exactly. Even they may physically be attacked and, and they're still going to experience aging, sickness and death. Exactly. Exactly. So even the Buddha during his lifetime, I know of two stories where people tried to kill him. Okay. And he didn't get killed because he was able to handle it as an enlightened being. So as an unenlightened being, well, let me tell you the story first. He was walking down the street and there is this murderer that had murdered like a thousand people. And everybody told the Buddha, like, don't go down that street. The murderer's down there and he's going to murder you. And if you go down that street, you know, you, you're going to end up getting killed. Well, an enlightened being doesn't have fear. So the Buddha just walked down the street and this murderer sees the Buddha coming. And then he's like, all oh, right, I'm going to get to murder this guy. Right. Like here, here it is. Like I'm going to murder this guy. So the Buddha's just walking. He's determined to walk down the street. He's heading to another town to teach some people. Well, this murderer comes out. The Buddha's walking at a pretty good pace. So this murderer is having to catch up to him with his sword drawn. And he keeps yelling at the Buddha, stop, stop, stop. And the Buddha just keeps walking and walking and walking. And the murderer is yelling, stop, stop, stop. And the Buddha finally ends up stopping and he turns around and he says, 
I have stopped. It's you that hasn't stopped. He said, what do you mean? He said, you didn't stop. He said, yes, I have stopped. It's you that hasn't stopped killing. It's you that hasn't stopped stealing. It's you that hasn't stopped committing sexual misconduct. It's you that hasn't stopped lying. It's you that hasn't stopped taking substances that cause heedlessness. I have stopped. You're the one that hasn't stopped. And the murderer was like, whoa, (laughs) what did he just say, right? And so essentially by the Buddha being calm and peaceful and talking friendly and respectful to this guy, he was able to provide some wisdom that this guy chose not to murder him. And since the Buddha was enlightened, he had the complete control over his mind to stay calm in that situation with somebody chasing after him with a sword, right? And he knew that he had the wisdom to be able to handle this situation. Whereas if somebody was unenlightened, they might become fearful, they might become discontent, they might have anxiety and stress, who knows what they might have said, what they might have done, they might have run around and made the situation worse, and they might have actually gotten killed because of this decision. That's why all those unenlightened people were warning the Buddha not to go down the street because they were afraid. But the Buddha knew that he had the wisdom and he wasn't afraid and he wouldn't end up getting murdered. So the way that this story ends is the murderer was so impressed by the Buddha's wisdom and his presence and his calmness in the face of potentially being murdered that this murderer ends up asking the Buddha to ordain. And he says, I want to become a monk with you. I want to learn with you. So immediately the Buddha on the side of the road essentially ordains him at that moment and starts training him to practice the Buddhist teachings and practice these teachings that lead to enlightenment. And not too long after that, the emperor, the king in that region of the world sent out soldiers looking for this murderer because they were going to throw him in jail. And they felt like, you know, he had murdered so many people, he needed to be killed or thrown into jail or something else. And there was this conversation between the soldiers and the Buddha where the Buddha basically let the soldiers know that he was training this person and that person that they're looking for no longer exists, that that person has now transformed and has become a disciple of his, and that's no longer the same person, that he's now under training. And the king agreed to not jail him, and he maintained being an ordained practitioner for the rest of his life, and he actually attained enlightenment during his life. Even having murdered a thousand people in that life, he essentially burned off all his unwholesome gamma. And part of the unwholesome gamma that he burned off was by becoming ordained. Had he not become ordained, those soldiers would have came and found him, arrested him, and either put him in jail or killed him. But by him ordaining, which was his decision, he then got the protection of the Buddha, who then was able to very wisely turn away these soldiers and now guide this person to liberation and enlightenment. And nobody ever sought him out to murder him because he was ordained and he was now protected by this path in these teachings. 
So this is how he chose to clean up his gamma, even though he had murdered a thousand people. So all of us have to learn these teachings and decide how we're going to improve our decisions through this wisdom and clean up our gamma. Yeah, there are many helpful lessons in that story, one of which goes back to my question from earlier about whether the harm that comes back to us must be in proportion to what we put out. And here's a guy that's murdered a thousand people in this lifetime and still becomes enlightened. Mm -hmm. So there's hope for everybody, right? (laughs) Yeah, and, and this is an example too where you can see the past doesn't matter, right? I mean, it matters because he probably had to deal with a lot of guilt and shame and fear, right? Like he didn't become enlightened in like a month, I'm sure. It took a good long while, I'm sure. So he still had to deal with the guilt and shame and fear of having murdered the people that he murdered. But even having murdered so many people, you can clean up your gamma to the point where you can put that behind you. And he's quite fortunate that he didn't get murdered himself, having murdered a thousand people. But that one decision to chase after the Buddha and then ultimately ordain, you know, changed his life in a big way by moving in that direction. But that shows you that if you've had sexual misconduct, if you've taken substances that cause heedlessness, if you've stolen, if you've lied, if you've done any of this stuff in the past, in this life, it's all in the past. You can change your conduct right now. One of the things that we're taught growing up in other traditions is that we go through this life and when we die, we're judged over everything that we've done in this life. And then we either go to a good place or we go to a bad place. And it's based on the totality of everything we've done in this life. So some people, by the time you're 30, 40, 50 years old, you'd be like, you know what? I've been doing bad this long. Mm, Might as well just keep doing bad because I'm going to be judged and I don't have enough time to sort all this out. So I'm just going to keep doing bad. What the heck? But that's not true reality. That's not what actually happens. You don't have just one life. You don't get judged at the end of this life to go to either a good place or a bad place. Everything that happens in your life is based on your own decisions right now. So even if you've done a lot of unwholesome things in the past, you can change that conduct now and improve the condition of the mind and improve the condition of the life and you will know that your life is improving because the condition of the mind is improving. The mind will become peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently, and your life will become that way. And that's how you'll know that you're learning the truth. And this is the real path to liberation, that you don't have to just believe a bunch of things and then hope that you sorted it all out and you get a good judgment at the end of this life. That's not true reality. You can actually learn these teachings, improve your life, see that improvement now so that you know you're on the right path. And then you can enjoy this life with this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So even me, I killed a lot of animals when I was younger. I worked on a farm for a period of time. I killed goats and sheep. I used to practice with a BB gun, killing birds and things like this. I did a good amount of killing as a child growing up and that bred certain amount of hatred and ill will in my mind growing up. 
But you can change all of that. And you can see through this story of a killer who had killed a thousand human beings. He was able to transform his mind and eliminate that craving, anger, and ignorance to attain enlightenment during his lifetime. So I'm sure nobody listening to this right now has killed a thousand people. I'm 100% sure of that without even doing any kind of survey or poll. None of you have killed a thousand people in your life. So no matter what you've done, you can improve your conduct now by learning and practicing these teachings. And to me, that's really empowering. That by itself is very liberating, right? We talk about laying down the burden. We talk about laying down the stress. Some people talk about the Buddhist teachings being pessimistic. I don't think there's anything pessimistic about you can change your life right now by making better decisions. I don't think there's anything pessimistic about that whatsoever. That's purely optimistic to me that no matter what you've done in the past, you can improve the condition of your life and your mind right now. I have one more follow-up just to check my understanding. So it seems that the results of our decisions are clearly both external and also what we cultivate in our own mind. Is it largely what we cultivate in our own mind? So if we do harm, we're essentially training ourselves to do harm. You know, if we get angry and we feel like we've, you know, won an argument and we've maybe gotten away with something, we haven't really gotten away with it because of the effect on our own mind. So obviously there's there's both at play here, but it is is karma really more about what the impact is having on our own mind? It's what's the impact to your mind that's part of it, but it's also the, the harm that you're causing to others is going to come back to you. But to pick up on the thought that you're exploring there, Max, when I was working on a farm, for example, and we were chasing after cows on horses and we were making our living and livelihood through selling living beings, which is not part of right livelihood, is going to cause unwholesome karma. By us killing goats and sheep and lambs and pigs and things like this, there's a certain amount of ill will certain amount of hostility that you need to have in order to do those things. You know, we had to hit the horses and hit the cows and, you know, we had to chase down the goats and tie them up and slit their throats and these kind of things, right? Well, when I first started doing that, it didn't sit well with me. I would actually shake. My body would shake in doing so. But it bothered the mind when I did this. And all those people that worked in that environment were doing the same things. But this environment wasn't a healthy environment to work in and to live in. I would live there for part of the time. I would live at the farm. And it was pretty hostile. We would get in fights. We would throw things at each other. We would backstab each other. There was people gossiping about one another. You know, people would steal from each other. So if you're killing other beings, there's other evils that this person will do. If you're stealing, then it's going to create a propensity in the mind to do other harmful things as well. If you're having multiple relationships and committing sexual misconduct, you're going outside of your committed loyal relationships, there's other harms that you're going to be willing to do in the world besides just those. If you're lying, 
there's other things that you're going to be willing to do besides those evils. Besides the evil of lying, there's other things that you're going to be willing to do. And if you're taking substances that cause heedlessness, harming your own physical body, then there's other harms that you're going to be willing to do as a result of that. So what you're essentially doing by cleaning up your conduct along the lines of the Eightfold Path and the Five Precepts is you're eliminating this harmful conduct that you're doing in the world and you're less likely to do other harms. That's why the Five Precepts significantly reduces the harm that you're causing in the world, but it doesn't eliminate it. It's only the Eightfold Path that actually eliminates all the harm that you're doing. So in the five precepts, there's in there about speech where you don't lie. That's going to knock down a good deal of your unwholesome speech. But it's not until you get into the Eightfold Path and you fully explore what right speech is that, ah, this is what right speech is. So if you only practice the five precepts, that's a start. It's a good place to start. But it's not until you move into the eightfold path that the whole path gets fully exposed to you, where you fully gain the wisdom of how to completely eliminate your unwholesome decisions by making only wholesome decisions in your life through the eightfold path. So yes, by doing things like killing and all these other things, there's going to be a propensity to do other things as well that are going to lead to unwholesome results. Got it. Thanks for that, David. Okay, we have a question from Manal. Teacher David, the population of humans has been dramatically increasing over the course of time. Mm -hmm. Would this be indicative of the constant increase of worldly attachments and karma compounding during the lives lived? Okay, so let's talk about this. So, as I mentioned, most of the beings that are in the human world are being reborn out of the animal world. So what you've been seeing over the course of many generations is this slow depletion of the animal world and this increase in the human population, which supports exactly what I've been sharing, which is the vast majority of humans are being reborn out of the animal world. So as the animal population has decreased, the human population is increasing. As the human population is increasing, it's putting more and more pressure on the animal world and that's depleting even more and more. So what the Gautama Buddha talked about is his teachings were expected to kind of be in the world for about 2,500 years after his death. The world was gonna go through these five 500 year cycles. And he explains these 500 year cycles perfectly. And he says the first 500 years after his death, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to attain enlightenment. The ordained and household practitioners are going to be very close in their union. They are going to basically understand and remember his teachings very closely. And there's going to be a lot of people getting enlightenment during his lifetime and for 500 years afterwards. Then he says the second 500 year cycle is people are going to be really good at meditation. They're just going to be really good at meditation, right? So the ability of people to attain enlightenment is going down. The third cycle, people are going to be really good at what he called erosion or a scholarly work. 
And if you look at what's happened, that's essentially when the Pali Canon was written down, is during that third cycle when the scholarly work about his teachings was underway and very heavily involved. But the ability of people to attain enlightenment is decreasing. The fourth 500-year cycle is people were going to be really good at giving gifts and giving money and supporting his teachings through generosity and giving. If you look at here in Thailand and other places, this is a period of time where lots of people gave money to build temples. Pretty much all the temples here in Thailand were built during this time frame, basically 500 years ago to 1,000 years ago. And that's what he said would happen. All of these cycles have actually happened. He said the fifth 500-year cycle, the ordained practitioners and the household practitioners would be fighting and arguing over what are his real true teachings. His real true teachings would become so invisible that they will have essentially disappeared. And ordained practitioners and household practitioners would be arguing and fighting over what are his actual true teachings. Well, if you spent any time on Facebook and Buddhist groups, you know that to be true. People are arguing and fighting over what were his real true teachings. Then he said, at that point, there would be a new Buddha, Buddha Maitreya. Maitreya means loving kindness, who would come into the world and would revitalize and restore his teachings back to what he originally taught. And this individual would then set up his teachings so that they could progress in the world for the rest of humanity. And all of the entire world would attain enlightenment from that point forward. And this is exactly what we see has happened. This time frame was over in 2017, three years ago, was the mark of the last 500-year cycle, which was exactly 2,500 years from his death. So in the year 2017, that's when Buddha Maitreya was to appear. So this moving of animals going down and humans population coming up is in preparation of Buddha Maitreya arriving so that now humans have the best chance possible to attain enlightenment. Because when there's a Buddha in existence, when a Buddha comes into the world, that's the best chance for everyone to attain enlightenment. Because a Buddha would have attained enlightenment by themselves without the help of any teachers whatsoever. A Buddha will be able to explain the teachings very clearly, very concisely, in a very profound way, describing them in a way that other teachers aren't able to explain. Because a Buddha has attained enlightenment by themselves without the help of others, their wisdom is very, very deep about the teachings. And they will be able to lead countless other people to enlightenment during their lifetime. And then they will set up a way for their teachings to continue well into the future once they die in order to ensure that more and more people, countless individuals, can attain enlightenment after their death. That's what a Buddha does. They become self-enlightened. They help and guide countless people during their lifetime to attain enlightenment. And they set up the teachings in such a way that they can be continued after their life and countless other people can attain enlightenment after their death. So this movement of 
animals that are dying and going into extinction, about 99% of the animal world has now become extinct based on scientific statistics. So 99% of all the animals that existed at one time have died. And there's been this explosion of human population in the world. And these five 500 year cycles have happened exactly the way Gautama Buddha explained. And now there's the ability for countless people to attain enlightenment through the teachings shining in the world from an individual who's able to then share them in a way that people can understand them and practice them and see the results in a very short period of time. Because if you're studying with an actual Buddha, you will see progress in your practice very quickly and very readily. And their teachings will be what the Buddha taught because the Dhamma is the Dhamma, the teachings are the teachings, but that teacher will be able to explain things in a way that others are not able to explain. So this conversion of animal to human, it's part of the natural cycle of the world in this cycle of rebirth in the evolution of the world as all of us in this human species are evolving. The human species is evolving. Just like a lizard, a snake, a shark, a turtle, there's an evolution of species throughout history over millions of years the human species is evolving. And we're now in a period where it's time for the entire human world to attain enlightenment and awaken to this wisdom of the Buddha so that we can now all function in this higher consciousness, creating heaven on earth, where earth becomes so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because all of us humans are no longer harming each other. We're no longer hurting each other with our intentions, our speech, our actions, our livelihoods. We're now cleaning up our conduct through learning and practicing these teachings. And over multiple generations, there will be the ability for more and more people to learn and practice these teachings to create this peace on earth. So you guys are involved in learning and practicing these teachings to clean up your life and your conduct. And by you doing that, it's going to help you, it's going to help those around you, and it's going to help all of humanity to move towards this heaven on earth where we all treat each other with love, compassion, kindness, politeness, friendliness, and respectfulness, and we're not causing harm to one another. And we no longer experience discontent feelings as an entire population, but it's going to take many generations to get there. Javier asks, where is Maitreya Buddha now? Who is she slash he? That's something that you will have to discover for yourself. In order to discover that for yourself, you need to first attain enlightenment. Because if you're going to identify a Buddha, you need to first be able to identify an enlightened being. In order to identify an enlightened being, you need to attain enlightenment yourself because through you learning and training your mind to attain enlightenment, you will be able to then identify other enlightened beings. So as you progress on this path, you will be able to identify other enlightened beings. So in order to identify Maitreya Buddha, you need to learn and practice the teachings to attain enlightenment. Then you're gonna need to not only identify an enlightened being, 
but you're going to need to learn how to identify a Buddha. And that's something that we can get to at another time because the number one goal is for you to attain enlightenment. Let's work on that first. And as you progress and you attain enlightenment, then you might be able to identify Maitreya Buddha as you learn how to identify a Buddha. But you have to get that first step first. We have a question from Deborah. How do you deal with seeing a past life that was not good? This is part of letting go, right? Because the unenlightened mind is going to want to hold on. That's that craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing with a strong eagerness. So whatever residual memories that you're having from a past life, that there was trauma or problems in the past and the mind's still holding on to it, these practices of the Buddha, the Eightfold Path, is going to help you to release that. So by you extinguishing and eliminating this craving, desire, attachment through training the mind with breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity, the entire Eightfold Path, you will train the mind to let go of those past traumas from past lives, as well as any traumas that happened in this life. So it's through this whole entire Eightfold Path that you will train the mind to let go and no longer hold on with this mental longing and strong eagerness, not only to things from past lives, but things from this life as well. And that's part of moving the mind to this enlightened state is training it to let go and not hold on. The unenlightened mind is going to want to keep holding on and holding on and holding on. You got to just train it to let go, let go, let go. Breathing mindfulness meditation, generosity, loving kindness meditation, practicing loving kindness, gaining wisdom, practicing the Eightfold Path, the entire Eightfold Path. You got to stay dedicated and committed to doing it and seeing that the mind is continuing to progress. Gradual progression. Be patient, be calm, and gradually progress towards the goal. We have a question from Judith. How many laws are there in Buddhism? Are karma and gravity two sides of the same law? They're not two sides of the same law. There are two different natural laws, the natural law of gravity, the natural law of karma. In terms of what we refer to as the natural laws, I call the natural laws of existence, I call that all the Buddhist teachings are the natural laws of existence. They're not a law in terms of they're not rules. They're not something that somebody's enforcing and you're not going to get any punishment for not understanding these laws. We're essentially punishing ourselves, right? We talk about this punishment and reward system and that's not what gamma is. But essentially what we're doing by not understanding the natural law of gamma is we're punishing ourselves because it's our decisions that are turning out to be unwholesome and creating unwholesome results for us. So I call all these teachings the natural laws of existence, and I call this the natural law of gamma. You could also refer to it as the natural truths of existence or the natural truth of gamma, because oftentimes the word law means that there's rules, something's prohibited, there's somebody enforcing the law, where that's not the case here. So if it helps you to think of this as the natural truth of gamma, or the natural truth of existence, and even this cycle of rebirth, 
there's kind of better language there. I kind of consider that to be the cycle of new existence, not rebirth. But we can go into that another time why I refer to it that way. Because some of the language that we've been using to refer to the Buddhist teachings isn't really exactly 100% correct because there's been this misunderstanding of the Buddhist teachings for 2,500 years. From the time that he died until now, the teachings have been on this slow decline of people misunderstanding that because of impermanence. And it's not until right now that there's somebody that can help you to truly understand what it was that the Buddha was talking about, what he was teaching. He wasn't implementing laws that are rules, that are prohibited, that are punishments, that people are being judged. That's not what he was talking about at all. He was talking about guidance that when you learn and practice, it will guide you to this better existence. So there's certain language that we're using, like the word suffering, the cycle of rebirth, this word law, these other words, rules. You know, some people call the Buddhist teachings training rules. I wouldn't agree with any of these depictions of the Buddhist teachings. And what I'm here to do is to share with you what I know through my experiences. And these teachings to me are all truths because when you practice them and you observe them in your own life through independent verification, you will get the wisdom to see that they're true. And as the mind progresses to this enlightened mental state, you will see that these teachings lead exactly where Gautama Buddha said they would. So the more that you get in touch with these teachings and you see them as guidance, you see them as just the natural state of existence, not rules, not nothing's prohibited, right? They're just the natural state of existence. And the more you learn the wisdom of them and the more you observe them independently to confirm the truth, the more you get this wisdom, the mind will function in the world very differently when you start understanding these natural laws. And if you get away from the whole punishment rewards, somebody's judging you, you only get one life. If you get rid of that and you realize that everything in this life is based on your own decisions, cause and effect, action and result, essentially the results of your decisions. If you talk kindly, politely, friendly, lovingly and respectfully to all people around you, even though that might be a struggle and it might be a challenge, the more you do that, you will see that's what will come back to you. The more that you don't cause harm with your bodily actions, you will see no harm will come to you. When you start making these good, wholesome decisions as part of this whole Eightfold Path, which includes meditation, as you make these wiser and wiser choices, your life and the condition of your mind will improve. You will see the truth for yourself. We have a question from Rhonda. How do you release karma in this lifetime when another person continues to bring up things you did wrong, even after admitting the wrong and apologizing multiple times? I guess that is karma, and perhaps that is craving forgiveness. Yeah, you have to get to the point where you don't crave that forgiveness. And you may have to do a little bit of coaching, right? Like if this is like a life partner, like when I first started getting deep into these teachings, I had unwholesome decisions that I made in the past 
my wife was, even though she's on the path too, she was very angry and hostile with me about things that I had done in the past. So I would have to sit with her sometimes and I would have to explain to her, okay, that's in the past. I'm no longer doing those things. I haven't done those things for a long time. Now, right now, I'm here with you and we're spending time together. I'm doing the right things. You're going to have to let the past be the past. And it took a good year, year and a half for me to slowly, patiently work with her and to help her see that those things are in the past and she's just causing her own discontent mind by being angry and frustrated with me about things that happened in the past. But over the course of a year, year and a half, those things cleared out and things improved. And now our relationship is so peaceful and so calm. Everything's wonderful. So you'll probably have to make a decision. Is this person somebody who's close to you and you see them often and you need to dedicate some time to sit down and help them see that those things are in the past? Or is this a person who's just an acquaintance who you've tried to talk with before, you've attempted to help them see that those things are in the past, they just won't let it go? And the best thing for you to do is maybe to just move on and no longer associate with them, perhaps. So you have to decide, that's part of your decision. How much is this person a part of my life? How much do I see this person being a part of my life going forward? And how much time should I decide to invest in working with this person and helping them see things? For me, I knew that I was gonna be with my wife for the rest of my life and we have a child together. So I knew that I needed to dedicate a lot of time in order to teach and show her. And what that did for me is it taught me patience. It taught me how to be patient and just slowly work with somebody and slowly help her along this path. And I saw that patience that I was developing as her gamma because we've been married at this point or we've been together at this point for about 13, 14 years. And it wasn't until two or three years ago that I really started getting into these teachings pretty deeply. So for 10 years, she was very patient with me. And now that I started diving into these teachings and I saw this hostility coming back to me, I knew that was my gamma from things I'd done in the past, but now I was improving my gamma, cleaning up my gamma, also practicing patience. And I saw that patience that I was returning to her as her gamma because she was so patient with me for 10 years. So you have to decide if this person's gonna be part of your life, and if so, how much time are you going to devote to it? And also, always look at how you can benefit from the situation, right? Not in terms of like gain for you, but like in the situation with my wife, while it was challenging, while it was a struggle, while it was, it was sometimes difficult, and there was times where I felt like I wanted to give up, I realized that there was some real benefit to my practice in taking my time and learning to be peaceful with her and being calm and learning this patience. There was real benefit in that for me that has really enhanced my practice because by me learning how to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the face of this woman who I had harmed in the past 
and this hostility was coming back to me by training my mind to be patient, to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in the face of this hostility. If somebody on Facebook becomes angry at me because I'm sharing some of the Buddhist teachings, okay, you disagree with the Buddhist teachings. My mind is not harmed. My mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because I've stood in front of my wife screaming and yelling at me for five or 10 minutes and I just stand there with my eyes closed and just let her scream and yell at me because I know it's my gamma and she's just got to extinguish it. She's got to get it out of her system. So I just let her scream and yell. If you can train your mind in that situation, then it becomes beneficial for you that when somebody cuts you off in traffic or some stranger gives you the middle finger, you can just smile. (laughs) That doesn't hurt you because you were able to train your mind to stand there and be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in my situation while my wife is screaming at me, right? So there's always some kind of benefit to your practice even when people are talking to you about things you've done wrong in the past. You can learn patience. You can learn to be calm. You can learn to maybe selectively share some teachings with them and see how it goes. And that's going to be beneficial for you. You can practice right speech. Even in a situation where somebody's hostile and angry with you, training your mind to practice the five factors of well-spoken speech in that situation is going to be highly beneficial to train your mind. So I never run away or turned away from these problems with my wife. I turned around, I faced the problems and I walked towards them. And when I did, it put the mind in a situation where I could train it, deeply train it and get real benefit from that situation. And it took a lot of time. It took a year, a year and a half before she slowly stopped being angry and hostile towards me based on things that I did in the past. If everything we experience, David, is the results of our decisions, is there still a place for luck? Is there such a thing as luck? And is there any randomness involved? There's no such thing as random luck. It's all cause and effect. You know, not that we should be going out buying lottery tickets because that's gambling. But even if you show up at a lottery place and you pick a certain number and you win the lottery, that was your decision to pick those numbers. So it's always cause and effect, action and result, right? Anything good that happens in your life, it's because of the decisions that you make. And anything unwholesome that happens in your life, it's all because of the decisions that you make. Even if you're sitting at a red light, minding your own business, doing nothing, and somebody rear-ends you in a car. That was gamma, not punishment, not a reward. It was cause and effect, action and result. You chose to go outside at that time. You chose to drive that car. You chose to drive in the way that you did. You chose to stop at that light. And it just so happens that somebody else behind you, their brakes failed. And that just is what happened or they're drunk and they didn't stop in time. So everything is cause and effect and action and result. There's nothing that happens randomly and there's nothing that happens by chance. There is no such thing as luck. That's great. Thank you, David. It appears we have no more questions. Okay, so this conversation about gamma 
what I hope you can get to is to the point where you can see Kama clear as day. That the good, wholesome things that are happening in your life, you can see that they are from good, wholesome decisions. And the unwholesome things that are happening in your life, those are from the unwholesome decisions that you've made. If you've got a really good job that you appreciate and that you have a boss and coworkers that you really enjoy being around and you've got a salary and compensation that you feel good about, that was from your decisions. You chose to get a certain education. You chose to apply for that job. You chose to engage in that work environment. You chose to be professional when you go to work. And those are because of your choices that you are enjoying that occupation. And conversely, if you have an occupation that you despise and that you don't like and you don't feel good about, that is because of your decisions. But because everything is impermanent, anything that is good and wholesome, it's not permanent. So don't get attached to it or else you're going to be discontent. But likewise, anything that is unwholesome, anything that you despise and you don't like, that's impermanent as well, which means with wisdom, you can apply good decision making and you can improve the condition of your life. So if you're in a situation where you're in a bad relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, with good decision making, you can improve that. If you're in a job that you despise and you think it's like murder going to that job every day, you can change that. It's impermanent. You just need to make good, wise decisions to either change the job that you're at and improve where you're at or make good, wholesome decisions to go somewhere else. So this life that you're living, you have complete free will. Everything is impermanent. The good stuff, the wholesome stuff, that's impermanent. Don't get attached to it. Things can change at any time. But as they start shifting and changing, you can make good, wise decisions to continue to go in a good direction. But anything unwholesome or any bad things that are happening to you in your life right now, that's because of decisions you made in the past. You need to now make better and better decisions to improve what you're doing in your life practice. And by you improving your life practice, by you developing your life practice, making wiser and wiser choices, you will get more and more wholesome results because of it. But you've got to take the action, action and result, cause and effect. Gamma is essentially the result of our decisions. So if there's anything that's going well in your life, look at that. Look at the decisions that you made that led to that and keep making those kinds of decisions. Anything that's not going well in your life, look at that and figure out what those decisions were that led to those things and now improve it. That's cleaning up your karma. By improving those decisions and making only good, wholesome decisions, that's cleaning up your gamma, cleaning up your unwholesome decisions from the past. And this is how you clean up your life. So you can work on this through learning and practicing the AFO path. You can work on this and gradually 
improve the condition of the mind and the condition of the life. This gamma, it's not this mystical, magical thing in the sky. It's not a dark cloud that hovers over you. It's day-to-day -day decisions, and you can improve your decision-making through learning and practicing these teachings and practicing this Eightfold Path. So I encourage you to read this chapter nine if you haven't already, because there's more content in there that you can learn. I also encourage you to go back to the talk that I did six months ago about the natural law of gamma. It's on our podcast. It's also on our YouTube channel. That talk was very different than this talk. Similar, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences as well. There were different questions, different conversation, different discussions. So it will help you to flush out your understanding of this natural law of gamma by hearing that talk, not just this talk. So don't allow this talk to be the only time that you think about gamma. You need to be thinking about it. You need to be observing it. You need to see it in action. You need to see that when you talk polite, kind, and friendly to people, you have good results. And when you talk aggressive and harsh and angrily towards people, it has unwholesome results. You need to see that when you practice generosity, when you give things and you help people and you practice loving kindness and compassion, when you have this active goodwill, when you eliminate judgment, when you eliminate arrogance, when you eliminate the ego, all of these things are going to lead to good, wholesome results. So don't allow this talk to be the only time you think about gamma. Read the book, take the quiz if you like that I have in the Facebook group and at the end of this chapter. Go back and look at the YouTube video or podcast from the talk six months ago and keep flushing out your understanding of this natural law of gamma. If you need help, schedule an appointment with me. You can schedule and we can talk privately, either by audio or video. We can also talk by private messenger. So I would like to help you really understand this natural law so that you see it as clear as day because it's a central core teaching that's part of these teachings and you will need to understand it in order to move the mind to this enlightened mental state. Because as I said at the beginning, gamma is the most unbiased teacher. You can observe the result of your decisions through your gamma, through the result of things that are happening. As you're making good, wholesome decisions, practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, you're going to see those conversations and relationships have good results. It's an unbiased teacher. When you're not practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, if you speak at the wrong time, if you lie, if you speak harshly, if you speak unbeneficially, if you speak with hatred or anger, if you blame people, it's an unbiased teacher. You're going to see those conversations result in unwholesome results. So by you cluing into this natural law of gamma, you can selectively practice Gautama Buddha's teachings along this eightfold path, and you will see the results that are returned to you are teaching you, are you on the right path? Are you making good decisions? You're going to see it moment by moment in each conversation, in each relationship. As you make decisions, as the results come back, you will be able to see it. 
It's like having your finger on the pulse. So if you can observe gamma clear as day, it's like having your finger on the pulse and seeing the wholesomeness come back to you or seeing the unwholesomeness come back to you. And then it's just a matter of modifying your decisions, modifying your conduct to get more and more wholesome things happening in your life. Slowly but surely, gradually over time, as you learn this natural law and implement the teachings of the Buddha, you'll see this improvement to the quality of the mind and the quality of your life. But it requires you to do the work to study, read and listen to these videos and these talks to further flush out your understanding and reach out to me as you need help. So thank you for joining today. I really appreciate that you've all decided to learn and practice these teachings. In fact, your decision today to join this talk and listen to this talk is a good, wholesome decision that's going to lead to good, wholesome results. Your decision to do meditation today is a good decision, wholesome decision that's going to lead to wholesome results. Your decisions to talk polite, kind, friendly, respectful to people are good decisions that are going to lead to good results. So you are already on this path to improving your gamma by even just listening to this talk and learning about this natural law. On Wednesday, we're going to be doing Buddhist chanting. And we may even explore a little bit more of this natural law of gamma as we typically do at the beginning of those Wednesday talks. So depending on what questions come in and what conversations happen over the next few days, we may spend a little bit of time on Wednesday kind of further exploring this natural law of gamma, ensuring that people understand it. And then we'll move into learning Buddhist chanting, which is part of learning the teachings to practice meditation. And then next Sunday, we're going to be learning about merit. What is merit? It's a special, unique type of gamma that you'll need to understand as it relates to training your mind to eliminate craving because merit is one aspect of training the mind to eliminate the discontentedness in the mind. So have a really wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for joining. Enjoy the good, wholesome gamma of learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings and training the mind through meditation. I'll see you at our next talk, either on Wednesday or Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.